Welcome to the Grantster Investing Podcast. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by a very special guest, Desiree Luches. Desiree is an ESG consultant at MSCI ESG Research and has an extensive experience working in the sustainability space across both the private and public sectors. Desiree is an outspoken advocate for the importance of considering environmental, social and governance factors when making investment decisions. In this episode, we asked Desiree what is the ESG specialist like, the ESG approach to understanding a business and what defines a sustainable one. Desiree shared with us what's a steady and sustainable way of growing the economy and why we need to bring back philosophy and ethics into the way we view the world. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today, Desiree. We really appreciate your time and are super grateful that yeah, we get the chance to talk with you today. Uh, so I Pleasure. thought we would start the podcast with, I guess, one of our favourite quotes from you that you said during one of your previous interviews, actually. So uh, the quote is that to be passionate, be curious, be connected, Above all, get involved in initiatives close to your heart and become an advocate for change. The world needs you. So both Lucy and I found this quote really inspiring. And so we were really curious to, I guess, to get your uh, opinion on on sort of where the inspiration from this quote came from and and to tell us a little bit more about it. Thank you. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for reaching out and thank you for appreciating that quote. It was meant to to really give a message to the alumni of Plymouth universities. So I did study my degree in the southwest of Britain and I have a science background and from an early age, I was very concerned about social matters. So I actually started studying sociology to then realize I was more interested in science. And as I studied science, the interconnectedness of our social and environmental challenges became so clear, so blatant, so overwhelming that, you know, I, I think it is our duty that, to, that once we know, you know, certain challenges, that once we know what we know, you know you, we can go back. So I think it's important that, that we apply, you know, ourselves in our lifetimes to the best of our ability within what means, you know, to us and what is valuable to, to all. Again, it's a value discussion. So I meant to inspire, you know, alumni of the university to, to really face up to the challenges of the 21st century. Um, and so leading on from that, we'd really love to hear a little bit about your, your background and I guess your journey to getting to where you are today and some of the interesting and, and rewarding experiences you've, you've had along the way. Thank you and uh, delighted to have this time with you guys. Um, I am a, an ESG specialist. I have a, a sustainability background. So let's start to, to define who I am at this point in time. I'm mid-career. I'm a, a Southern Italian woman. And uh, since an early age, I, I was kind of of observer. Probably being the third child in a family brought me perspective and the ability to be an observer. That's not necessarily related to the ability to listen, which is something I've learned over time and I'm still learning, I must admit. So as an observer, as a, the youngest child, uh, I, look at, I looked at social, social dynamics with, with interest. 
again, a very curious person. Therefore, science became a natural academic pursuit. And, and again, the challenges of today, as I learned over time at university, my early career years, I started as a junior consultant in the Netherlands working for a strategic advisory firm of very highly committed social agents, social change agents. So early in my career, I worked for the strategic change of large multinational corporations across these social and environmental programs. A recession hit the Netherlands. I moved to Australia. And that's where I learned more, more directly how to get, you know, green building projects designed, you know, implemented. I went to work for local governments on community programs, energy efficiency programs, trying to really strategize and understand the policy environment and how we can make some change. So I built my, my expertise through, um, you know, also kind of a kind of um, opportunistic expediency like and also resilience you know okay you know where is um, the next job the next opportunity i had to adapt because you know many jobs can be also cyclical they can reflect the the market uh, sentiment of the of the period in which you are they might be like today during a covid time be affected by a crisis so i built a, a suite of um, of contracts in in my you know baggage really that gave me so much insight into what's a, what's possible what are the challenges of designing and implementing projects and eventually i ended up in responsible investment and there was to me a fantastic change of direction because from designing projects and implementing them within a narrow focus, I feel that now I, I can influence a different direction and a broader, uh, more impactful outcome. That's why I was interested in talking to you about impact investing, because there are different lenses of, uh, you know, looking at impact. Now, you talked about um, working on community programs and green buildings, and I guess the current global pandemic really posed a lot of questions about urbanization and cities with a lot of people still going through quarantine, practicing social distancing to slow down and hold back the infection transmission. And at the same time, cities are also a key contributor to climate change as urban activities are major sources of greenhouse gas emissions. In preparation of this interview, we did a little bit of digging um, through your profile. And one experience I found really interesting is that you are an urban scholar of the United Nations Global Compact Cities Program, which is an in initiative to advance the development of cities that are inclusive, resilient and sustainable, which seems extremely relevant right now. So... I guess as a sustainability and ESG specialist, what do you think are the roles of sustainable infrastructure and the development of global smart cities in addressing sustainability and climate change and how this finance or social finance in particular plays a part in all of this? It's a great question and very articulate, I must say. The, 
the human population, probably about 70%, I don't have the latest figures, but the majority of the world population lives on the coast. And, and it's, so it becomes in a, unavoidable that the greatest challenges that we face as a society and the greatest opportunities of connecting are in urban environments. You pointed out very rightly that the climate change is, is really a challenge for the urban infrastructure that was actually designed and built for a different era, for an era that had a different climate. And that's something that always concerned me since university. The greatest risks, physical climate risks that we face, I tend to be coastal flooding, heat waves, and also extreme events. So that those are unpredictable. Well, there is a, a higher frequency and probability of these events occurring. So if you think of uh, sewerage infrastructure, if you think of roads where they, and where they, their houses are actually built, that's all going to be affected. So what does it take to build resilience? Well, basically had the, having that forward outlook where are the assets at this point in time within a warming scenario? Where are communities located? How connected they are within their own neighbourhoods for critical uh, infrastructure? We've seen how a bit of fear about the COVID brought people to hoard, hoard the supplies. How, to what extent the supply, the supply chain and critical services are affected by acute stresses and chronic? So that will, that's what brought me to the UN Global Compact Initiative, for which I'm just simply an external advisor, if required. The experience I've had in, in green building certifications, in community energy pro programs and social programs, in uh, integrated infrastructure planning, enabled me to bring a, a lens of reference for a sound discussion between different stakeholders. So there is no one technological solution to to a challenge, particularly in an urban context. And the, the key and probably the the hope that we have as a society is to bring different stakeholders and a multi-partisan you know, view to the table. Certain developments, particularly in infrastructure, cannot take place unless we have public and private actors around the table advancing certification, you know, tender requirements, and really mobilising industry expertise together with a regulatory environment. Nothing happens in isolation. And I guess on that topic, um, tying it back into the to the whole concept of impact investing, what what sort of role do you think impact investing plays in in helping with this transition? So, for example, a lot of the capital that's that passes through uh, a lot of the traditional financial markets are uh, being used instead uh, towards driving a lot of these initiatives around smart cities and sustainability. Do you see impact investing playing a bigger role in this space going forwards? There has been a, a significant growth in interest in impact and impact investing. So different actors within the investment chain are starting to put more uh, minds and uh, strategic uh, lens of analysis to impact. It's still hard to think, consider how you can deliver outcomes, actual outcomes that benefits communities and um, the environment over the longer term within the existing 
risk frameworks that investors are you know obliged to respect from a regulatory lens so usually impact investing has been driven by more philanthropic you know uh, investors investors who have had the opportunity to take a higher risk uh, um, tolerance and really try to lower the expectation on the return we have seen now that you can still design very good investment um, strategies and products with impact meeting returns. So there is a spectrum of impact investing and there are different degrees of um, risk uh, that investors are prepared to take. And the challenge is making it more mainstream, but also aligning projects and investments to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And that's a very broad consideration because the sustainable development goals were developed for countries and in impact, what matters is an outcome and the metrics to track and, 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 and perform against those indicators, which are still in development, is really blurred. It doesn't mean that it's not achievable, but you have to be very clear about where you're starting from, which region and which communities or which projects or, you know, perhaps ecosystems you are bringing into a, a regenerative, you know, lens of, of project development. And then to what extent you're able to track that over time within a, a return that meets, you know, mainstream investors, you know, expectations. So, Different investors will have different um, different uh, interests in, in impact and specific projects. We've seen through COVID the, that there is a, also a surge in COVID bonds. So there is a significant growth globally and in aggregate of social and, um, and uh, environmental bonds. There's also a trend in sustainability-linked loans, so companies trying to improve their profile in terms of um, sustainability or certain environmental and social metrics of performance so, so that, you know, they can access better credit and, and better refinancing opportunities. That's a, that's a very interesting perspective to look at. Talking about metrics and data, you are currently working at the global financial data company, MSCI, one of the world's, I guess, leading stock market index providers and assess more than 7,000 companies on their ESG performance. So for our listeners out there who's not very familiar with MSCI, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what MSCI provides? What does your team ESG research does? and how is it like to be an ESG uh, specialist? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. So, yes, MSCI is um, a leading uh, index uh, house. Uh, they, it also provides uh, risk and analytics uh, you know, services, ESG research, and real estate benchmarks. And we've recently broadened our scope of works into climate scenario analysis. So, really, it has a wealth of services in the investment space. I specifically work as an ESG consultant in, in the ESG research team. I focus on Australia New Zealand, but I'm the only consultant in APAC at this point in time. So it's been a fantastic opportunity to join a very high-caliber high research team. And what we do is we take a, uh, a lens, a bottom-up and top-down lens of analysis across very many different signals of ESG. 
and responsible investment analysis. And what we do is we, we, when we're talking about rating a company and not just screening a company for negative or misaligned uh, activities, we, we basically take uh, data through their corporate disclosures, but also the industry-specific risks, and then elaborate, you know, through qualitative and quanti- quantitative data points over time and review continuously how these companies are tracking against their disclosed targets and how they actually try and mitigate the exposures that by, by belonging to a, a certain industry they, they have. So it's a bit of a complex and vast area of analysis. And the data is really significant because it spans across hundreds of data points. I think in, across ESG, we have over 500 data points. So it depends on the length of analysis. Um, ESG investing can be just bottom-up about risk exposure and the management practice to mitigate those risks. It can be top-down. We can look at, okay, what type of corporate structures there are and what type of involvement they have in activities they might have a harmful social implication like, I don't know, gambling or palm oil or defense and weapons? You know, are they involved in somehow through equity shares into controversial weapons manufacturing? So that's a value choice. But investors increasingly and primarily are using bottom-up data across generic risk exposures that are, you know, analyzed through an industry lens. So, okay, what are typical uh, risks and mega risks that an industry is exposed to globally? And what we do is we dig into the company specifically within an industry group and then look at how the company tries and basically mitigate risk or basically also, you know, overperform that type of risk exposure. And and then again, if more topically to this uh, impact investing discussion, we're also looking at how companies positively contribute through their products and services to the SDG, the United Nations SDGs. So do their business models have an alignment to activities that might contribute to urbanization of um, empowerment, gender empowerment, or they might be looking at sustainable agriculture or, you know, pollution prevention. So it's a vast area of work and it's been an exciting time to be in this role. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating to um, actually learn a bit more about uh, MSCI and, and indexes themselves because I think as, an in, as investors, it's, a lot of us have heard about MSCI. It's all over the news, but it's it's quite it's a term that I think it just hasn't been defined very well. And <laughs> when you think of indexes, you just think of a, a list of numbers, and that's right. And you don't think about all the the underlying data that, that goes into creating that index. So that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, but, but I'd like to distinguish. I mean, ESG research has the bottom up data or ESG data that can feed and feeds. Uh, into ESG indices. So MSCI uh, as, a, as a, a research house and an index house basically produces, you know, generic market cap indices. At the same time, there's been a fantastic growth in ESG or SRI or thematic indices that basically embed 
you know, rules-based criteria for constructing these indices. So more recently, we have released a climate change index. We have had, we have had ESG leaders in indices for a long time. And for example, you know, in the ESG leaders index, we take the top 50% of um, the best ESG-rated uh, stocks in each industry. It is fascinating and, and very, very uh, current and necessary that we start looking at what performance is within what is required in 2020. So at this point in time, does it still make sense to to assess a business an investment performance through a market cap index that doesn't really reflect the requirements of the social and environmental needs of today. So I'm very passionate about the, the ESG and thematic indices. I think they have a strong potential for, for, you know, the, for society at large. And what is an, an efficient market? To me, an efficient market is a market that has the greater lens of analysis. So ESG is additional information, material information to investors because it tells a broader story. And there is no company that can be success successful in isolation without accounting mm -hmm. for the greatest transformations of, transformations of our time. And those concern, you know, equity, concern, you know, resilient, climate resilience, concern distribution of wealth, and I don't want to breach it into the political discussion, but there are significant challenges and we are only as good as the weakest link as supply chain teaches us. So we are not safe today if Brazil and the US and the emerging markets are not safe within this pandemic. That's what globalization shows, that we are only as strong as our weakest link. Yeah, it's interesting how this whole pandemic has revealed just how interconnected we are through the whole process of globalization and, and as you said, supply chains. And, and going back to your point about investing with impact and purpose, you know, one thing I'm curious about is to get your perspective on what role do you, do you see a lot of this ESG and sustainability research and indices that firms like MSCI are doing? What role can they play in supporting, as you said previously, modifying existing investment models to suit really the approach of investing with purpose and, and impact? Firstly, there is a limited role that a third-party provider can have. But of course, the, the creation of thematic indices, ESG indices, offers an opportunity of in, for innovation. What, what I view uh, as a, a, a great opportunity is for leading investors, the allocators of capital, the managers of capital on behalf of fiduciary, um, uh, of fiduciary sorry, of trustees and, and the, the holders of fiduciary responsibilities, you know, the long-term investors who you know, invest on behalf of individuals like us, Everybody's got a pension. So I see the opportunity for the actual investors who manage and allocate capital to reference thematic and ESG and SRI indices, socially responsible investment um, indices, to really, you know, kind of reference performance against something that is more suited to the reality of today's world. So... 
uh, is an index really made up of companies that have a greater gender diversity or is an index really um, performing against a, a reference index that, that actually has a, a lower exposure to carbon-intensive sectors. Uh, we recently saw a major super fund in Australia you know, basically using a, a low-carbon factor to really exclude industries that are really laggards in innovation and in, in, in a climate-aligned performance. And again, there, there are many nuances, so I don't want to keep, you know, make it complex. But does it really make sense today to look at performance only through a very narrow lens of analysis, which is, you know, a very short-term uh, return profile of companies? Again, we need to question a bit the, the underpinning finance and economics assumptions that are made. And uh, to me, it is interesting to consider to what extent business schools are actually teaching about corporate social responsibility, about environmental crisis, social you know, challenges. Uh, a business operates only as well within a thriving and stable society. So it is in everyone's interest that we start to account for what are the key challenges of today or different markets, the extent to which markets are correlated and interconnected, and where the opportunities for, for a sustainable growth, you know, nothing growth, you know, infinitively or infinitely, I should say. Mm -hmm. So in, in biology, what grows, you know, continuously is a cancer. So what is a sustainable, steady way of growing or to ma of maintaining an economy? And to me, that's a very interesting philosophical question. Mm. We need to bring back philosophy and ethics in the way we view the world and we account for a value or performance. So I guess this can be quite a, probably a, a deflection from the topic. There are many levels. What is value? What is a value in, in economic terms? value in intrinsic value terms, what is performance in economic terms, what is uh, you know, the performance of an impact project. There are many levels of analysis, but as a human species, species, I think we are comfortable with what we can control and easily explain. But the reality is that the world has become very complex, mm -hmm. very complex and escalating at an escalating pace. So we need to start broadening our in, uh, our willingness to face up to complex problems. So if investment just simply looks a very easy, simple, straightforward, short-term solutions, we are not going to be capable of delivering the investment models that really bring the impactful and scalable change that we require this time, this point in history. And that's why I'm very pleased that you that you picked a quote of mine. Actually, it brought me back to that year in London in 2013 when I was working for a think tank just, uh, just soon after I commenced my journey in responsible investment. And what I could say is from experience as a young professional at the time, you know, you have to stay connected to your passions. It's not about making a career that accumulates, you know, capital for a world that will be disrupted by the multiple challenges that we are facing. You know, equity, you know, inclusion, 
racial inclusivity, you know, emerging markets challenges. You know, we call them emerging markets, but we are all in it together. And the COVID is demonstrating this. So hopefully we can come out of this, you know, re rebuilding of our, you know, social interactions and economy with a new lens. And maybe we don't all need to commute. We don't all need to fly that much. One thing I think is, inter- is interesting from a climate perspective is that as every- the world seemed to stop, emissions haven't really stopped. So the ability of individuals to impact climate are really not as significant as we thought they can be. So there is a big economic transformation, economic model transformation that we can all contribute to. And I think that's where impact investing can help. But we need to understand how different individual projects, you know, fill the gaps within a broader market perspective. So there is a huge opportunity to get into impact investing, but also to consider how mainstream investments are run so that they can also lead to impact outcomes. Again, if you choose to invest in certain sectors, in certain companies, by choosing those sectors and those companies, you're making an impactful choice. So do you decide not to invest in those companies or do you you decide to influence those companies? These are questions that investors ask and we as individual investors can also ask. So, for example, my I've, I've chosen I've chosen a pension fund that is strongly aligned with my values, and I'm very proud as I monitor the way they invest my pension money, my contributions, because I want to make sure that the world in which I'm going to retire has that you know resilience and equity that I I think we all need as a society to be a stable society, but also because I think that economically. Unstable societies do not do well. So to me, it's like, oh, economically, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm not sure maybe investments in Syria or Iraq are doing well. Or, you know, or when the, the typhoon hit, you know, Thailand, we knew that Toyota got affected and the, their supply chain. So again, that's a way to consider impact. Uh, where am I investing? And I'm, am I also investing in a way that generates a, a and influences the economy at large. And again, it's a very complex area. So I think I probably my interest in so many things doesn't make it narrow or focused enough. But that's for a different conversation. But I guess it gives you it gives you perspective having experience across all these different areas as well, right? Yes, and the art. I mean, it's it takes art. And, and true genius to be that simple and clear. I'm still trying to learn that. You know, some people are gifted with humor. Some people are gifted with being succinct. Some people are gifted with being more of a Renaissance-like, you know, spirit. So being eclectic and being actually generalist is probably a good thing today because the complexity of society today requires us to look at different, to, to tap into different you know, historic lenses, analytical ways of assessing problems. At the same time, today we face also the challenge that we need a lot of specialism, IT, the digital economy. We need to understand math. We need to understand physics. 
we need to understand what, how to build algorithms. It, algorithms. And it doesn't really happen just by wishful thinking. So specialism today is very required. So again, to go back to that quote that, that you mentioned, it's very important to understand where we are best suited and what aligns with our values because ultimately is what makes us thrive and makes us, you know, study better, learn better, you know, work better. So let's identify as individuals what really makes us a tick thrive and what, what, what do we want to achieve if we, are, we have that mindset of generating outcomes and value. And, and value or values, it depends on the individual. So, yeah, so I think it's, it's important to be connected because that will help us also focus, study, learn, or do the right thing by us. But I think by default, we can also do it by others. If I'm doing the right thing and I'm in the, the right place at the right time, because I'm understanding where I sit within my community or my family or my profession, I'm probably going to be generated, you know, to be generating the best outcomes so I don't know I think it's I'm thinking you know resonance things in nature build through collaboration through through they they have a sort of rhythm and you know if you look at like how you know snowflakes form with music if you, you know, with classical music, they form in a very balanced and harmonious way. So I'm always thinking of harmony. What generates harmony in, in society as individuals? So, yes, I think passion, connectedness, you know, curiosity are very important skills. And, again, I haven't answered any question, but it doesn't really <laughs> matter. It's more of a conversation. Well, there you go. I think that's very useful advice for young people looking to start their career, still figuring out um, what they want to do in their life. I definitely wish that I got this um, advice when I was still at uni. Not too late. It's not. Is there any advice that you have? for a young millennial looking to start investing, um, impact investing? Um, it's never late and it's not late. Again, um, we have different journeys and, and I think it's, it's important to understand your strength. As an individual, where, where do you see your qualities and strength and build on those? There, there is a lot of I think behavioral uh, science on building on strength. Of course, this doesn't preempt us from, you know, in, you know, from really enhancing or improving our weak weaknesses. And again, what's the weakness? Sometimes uh, even a strength could be, or too much of a strength could be a weakness. Again, there's always that perspective. So I think it's important to understand which area of impact you are interested in first what type of challenges you see as the most compelling and the ones that you think you can add greatest value or you can find the most uh, inspiring or enjoyable. I think you, you have to kind of create the perfect recipe. For example, uh, I think a good way to look at it is look at the, uh, the key sustainability trends that we're having today. 
then go to the local, you know, impact investing association, like uh, Impact, uh, you know, Ventures Australia, I think. And there's, no, sorry, I think Impact Investing Australia and Social Ventures Australia. Look at what they're doing, what type of, what type of projects they, they deliver and look at the frameworks they exist globally. So there is a global impact investment network. For example, look at what type of development banks are doing. There is a beautiful, um, it's probably called a bank, beautiful, but um, there, there is a great um, Dutch bank, the FMO, that does fantastic projects and they bring so much value to a developing country. So identify what type of projects, you know, really interest you what type of skills you think you have if you are more into uh, social dynamics and affordability yeah go for those social projects if you are fascinated by building ecosystem resilience or city projects then focus on the uh, infrastructure engineering expertise and you can always specialize of course certain disciplines require you know the a degree so it requires, you know, academic strength and, and expertise that takes years to build. And I think you can also diversify. Once you've identified the area, you can also diversify your skill and knowledge to really build on. So to me, I started in science. To me, yes, I did start as a generalist. I had a grasp of science. I realized engineering wasn't the area I wanted to go, but I still worked with engineers, managed to coordinate projects, learned a huge amount. Then again, reposition myself through the investment space. And again, I've been learning significantly. I'm not stopping because I can't. There are so many moving parts within an investment ecosystem. Uh, for example, understanding indices, and I'm still not across the depth of the criteria that are used to build indices because, again, those require um, a finance expert or a different discipline. But, again, being open to learning is key to, to thrive in today's world. And mind you, answers can be simple. There are cohorts of young people who have accumulated a couple of degrees and ultimately society is also lacking manual labor, experts, you know, electricians. So people are going back to, to simple activities, furniture making, baking. And I think we can also redefine what we consider valuable work uh, again there are different moving parts in, in, in designing impact projects. And the, the challenge is also to help define those. Mm, yeah, I think I definitely agree that you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing more valuable than doing something you're passionate about. So we always like to finish up with a bit of a recommendations piece uh, from our guests. So Desiree, we're wondering if for, for, for our listeners out there, if there were any books or resources or, or anything in general that, that you might have found useful in the past or that you would recommend, especially for those of us looking to, to get more involved um, with, with impact investing and in the area of sustainability? 
Yeah, I will start from uh, the great uh, sustainability trends report 2020 by Generation I Am. I have been just going through all the beautiful interactive charts that they have. This gives you room for thought of what is happening globally across all these different thematic areas from mobility and transport to economy to culture. And, uh, and then look at the World Economic Forum risk report risk is it called the world risk report i think from the world economic forum so i start from the risks start from the trends and then go back to the associations that are leading in their own countries on impact projects what large investors are doing on impact what do they think you know they're contributing to how are they disclosing and dig deeper then dig deeper, but also look at the new economic thinking. I think the most exciting aspect of today is that we have a wealth of amazing new thinkers and Nobel Prize you know, recipients like Joseph Stiglitz, Hermann Daly, Eleanor Ostrom, down to the most recent uh, you know, university college professor, Mariana Mazzucato, who are really challenging economics at large. Start from those, understand risks, and then dive into the individual projects to understand what are the skills required by the not, not just the people who are investing in those projects, but the people who will actually need to, to make them happen. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for those recommendations. I really appreciate it. I know Lisa and I will definitely um, look into all of those, and hopefully our listeners out there also find them as useful as, as you did. I think that'll that'll do it. But we really, we really, once again, we really do appreciate um, you for, for joining us on this episode and for your time and and your energy and your enthusiasm. And we're really grateful. Uh, and I'm and very grateful for this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the episode as much as we did. While you're here, feel free to follow us on social media at our Instagram account, Browns for Investing. The Grants for Investing podcast and the persons involved may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation.